Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- Four seven four zero zero eight six. This is a different perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And good 
afternoon to all of you. This is, in fact, a different perspective, and I am, in fact, Kevin Randall. We were uh, talking last time with Don Schmidt about uh, Len Stringfield. We always planned this for two hours, the two shows, because uh, what Len was doing, his research was very important, and we didn't think we could cram everything into a single hour. And I know a number of people have written to me a number of times and suggested, please, uh, expand the show, make it longer. And I'm thinking, gee, getting an hour done is quite the ordeal. Now they want me to do two. Well, we're doing two, so there you go. Um, I'm not going to bother with introducing Don again. I think all of you know who he is. He's, like we've said before, he's he lives in Wisconsin. He's been around the UFO field for at least as long as I have. Well, we've worked together on a number of cases, including the Roswell case. Uh, we've visited witnesses all over the country, uh, conferred on different aspects of the UFO phenomenon. Now, last week when we were chatting, we had um, just touched briefly on what happened to Len Stringfield's files, because we knew, he knew, uh, given his illness, that he had to make some kind of distribution for his files, make some kind of uh, uh, plans for where his files would go. And there was discussion that, that uh, I think it's fair to say Kufos, mainly Kufos would be getting the files. And of course, that would have given Don and me access to everything as well. But there was an interloper who came in, and just as we um, had to break, uh, Don, you were talking about that and the phone call that um, Len had received. Can, can we kind of touch on that again? And yes, and uh, it was uh, actually a term that you use quite often when the two of us were together, and that was third-party interference. That... Whether, I mean, you and I couldn't come up with a witness that uh, was good enough. We couldn't write a report that was, you know, good enough. We couldn't do a book that was good enough. It was always a third party, you know, interloper, third party interference that was always trying to uh, sh shoot it down, that type of thing. And uh, that was exactly what had happened as far as with Len, because the more we had worked with him, the more he confided to us, the more we personally visited with him in Cincinnati and then in Chicago. He finally came to the conclusion that he was going to provide, he was going to turn his files over to the Center for UFO Studies, slashed Kevin Randall, Don Schmidt, that type of thing, that we would have full access. And uh, when Len was dying in a hospital in Cincinnati and the family was making an effort to track us down, talk to us. I know I was in England at the time, lecturing, and uh, he receives a phone call, unexpected, and uh, the party on the other end, you know, Len's already here that uh, you're, um, you're going to be passing on, but um, you might as well turn your files over to me because they're not going to do you any good any longer. And uh, that was Stanton Friedman. Well, I think and then upon learning of Len's passing, you and I, we made every effort to try to, you know, come to some agreement with the family. What would it take for us to uh, smooth things over, you know, come to, uh, you know, some new uh, agreement that would still, uh, you know, honor Len's last wishes well, unfortunately, Len's last wishes were that no one's going to get the files. That if that's what all my time and effort, that's what my life has amounted to, that, well, give, them, give it all to me so I can take the credit for it. And uh, sadly, here we are in 2020, and these files are still not available. And there's probably some very good stuff hidden away in there, if we could get at it. Um, of course. Of course, and now his widow Dell, she passed away just last, uh, just a year ago. And um, I had met with her a number of times uh, since Len's passing. I stayed in regular contact, just making sure she was, she was doing fine. And we would always bring up the files, and the door was still always open. 
and I'd like to believe it still may be open, but now I probably have to be careful because by just divulge, just by saying that, someone's going to try, you know, something behind our backs once again, and there's going to be that third-party interference. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take us in a bit of a tangent here because it, it kind of helps us out, uh, I think, in this discussion. When we were doing the Roswell Incident book, I managed to arrange for publication of the book, uh, UFO Crash at Roswell. And uh, I remember we met with Stan, I think in Illinois, and I remember standing in the parking lot and he making this proposal yes. to us that, um, that his, name would go on our, yeah. his name would go in our book, it would be number three on the mm -hmm. book, and we'd only have to give him a quarter of the money. Um, right, right. Because he thought... Um, I don't know. I don't know why he thought that we should give him anything because of all the research that he had provided for us was virtually nothing. And then when it became clear to him, at least, that we weren't going to do that, he wrote a letter to our publisher, right, suggesting right. suggesting that we had uh, engaged in flights of fancy. We had engaged in plagiarism. We were taking other researchers, re, uh, investigators' research, and using it as our own. All things he did to us. And I spent, I think it was 24 hours on the phone with the lawyers at um, Avon. And not at all Avon, at once. Right. Uh, not all in one day, of course. And I remember um, getting a phone call one afternoon, and I was chatting with him about this. And one of the lawyers finally said to me, you have tapes of this stuff? And I said, yes, I do. And they said, thank you, goodbye. Because yeah, we, can yeah, now, we can now prove what, what we had done and where mm -hmm. all our information came from. But... But the, the upshot of this is in his book, and I'm not going to mention the name about the Roswell case, you can see that he took our research and published it as his own. He would right. say things like, in an interview conducted on blah, 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 day with such and such, this is what, you know, this is what that person said. And it would be research that you and I had conducted. Um, That's correct. And in one case, uh, he took the information that Bill Brazel had given us, Bill Brazel being the man, of course, that had found the, the craft in his field, or the, the remains of it in his field. He, um, he lifted that stuff you know, for page after page. And it, it, coincidentally, it was a uh, British debunker, Christopher Allen, who alerted me to that. He had, he had mm -hmm. sent a note wanting to know if... Um, you know where that information came from. Of course, it came from us, and we had the tapes, and we'd supplied those. Yeah, we'd supplied them to the fund for UFO research, and and Stan got them that way, and just copied that information, without credit or attribution. So the things that he was accusing us of, he in fact did. In fact, did. But enough of Stan Friedman. Uh, back back to Len Stringfield, who did very good work. Um, do we and have any who? was also constantly being attacked by, by Stan as to whose testimony regarding Jess Marcel was first, who was, whose testimony was the most accurate, the most reliable, that type of thing. And then uh, it, it's known as always setting yourself up in competition with somebody. And you and I, we, we, we experienced that very often where people would set themselves up against us instead of cooperating with us because as we've often said anyone any one of us solves this we all win whatever it turns out to be we can you know put this chapter to, to bed you know and it's behind us whatever we all win and uh so it, it would constantly demonstrate what their true agendas their true motives were in all this and it really had nothing to do with ufos ufos just was the vehicle it was the front, sad to say. And, and, and Len, when you consider, he wrote all of two books on, on the subject. The rest were self-published, his status reports. He was sharing the information he had with his colleagues with the hope that in his declining years that maybe they could follow up on it. And he did have plans. He did have intentions of turning over his material for future researchers. And we are not the reason that those files are still locked away to this day. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, I know Lynn had some information on possible, I guess, body parts. 
of, of alien creatures and that sort of thing that he mentioned in the status reports. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of that that material. Of course, um, of I'll have more information up on the blog, of course, at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And if you're really interested in the Roswell case, um, Don's got a book coming out uh, or is out now about uh, another book about Roswell. Mine is Roswell in the 21st century. When we come back, we'll get the name of, of Don's book and uh, some other information. So um, hang around. We'll be back right after this. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jen E. as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. mentioned frequently, I'm here with Don Schmidt. We're talking about um, Len Stringfield. I should point out that I'm really not here with Don Schmidt. We are engaged in social distancing just to be on the safe side. But we've been talking about Len Stringfield. And before we went to break, I'd mentioned some of the um, information he had gathered about uh, body parts. Are you familiar with the Musgrove mandible, Don? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've talked to John Musgrove um on a number of occasions. And as you know, Kevin, we have uh, an actual display at the museum in Roswell. And uh, John Mosgrove actually created a cast relief from the original that had been discarded after it had been retrieved by those two officers, which he 
recognized tell, one. Tell tell okay. us about tell us about the case. Tell us about the case before we get into that. Well, Mosgrove originally had served at Wright Pat, and then as far as uh, as a dental technician, and then he set up his own practice outside of the Dayton area with a number of colleagues. He had a a boss who approached him on one occasion and brought him uh, a a mold of a mandible, a lower jawbone, and he needed a replica uh, created for the next next day. He returned uh, the next day to retrieve it. And Mosgrove described how he went to the sink, thinking that it was uh, uh, just a, a cast mold from an actual mouth impression. And he'd have to rinse some blood and saliva off, and as he's cleaning it off, he's going, my God, this is the actual mandible. It's actual bone. And it's like nothing he's ever seen before. It doesn't appear to be human because it, it comes to a point. And there are no teeth. It's all gum line, and except for a couple of uh, would would be posts that would suspend the mouth, would would keep it open, that type of thing that were still uh, present. And the next morning, it's retrieved by his boss, and uh, he says, "You didn't make this. Nothing happened." Where's the requisition? I need to sign something off. And he says, you didn't see me. You didn't do anything. And then he takes the cast relief that he had made the replica from, and his boss crumbles it and tosses it into a trash can. So then he leaves, and Mosgrove follows from a safe distance, and he watches him go out into the parking lot, and there he sees two Air Force officers with a briefcase, and he recognizes one that he had served with at Wright-Patterson. The other one he didn't, but nonetheless, they take the impression and the original. They place them into the briefcase, they shake hands, they leave, and Mosgrove quickly races back to the lab, retrieves the crumbled uh, impression from the, the trash can, and he restores it and makes another replica. And he replaced that into a bank security box for the next 30 years before he turned it over to Carl Day, who was an Emmy Award-winning anchor reporter at the Fox affiliate. Then he went to the NBC affiliate in Dayton. So he alerts uh, Carl Day, to what he has in his possession. And Day, who knows of Len's research on crash retrievals and specifically contacts at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, he alerts Len to John Mosgrove's story as well, which then Len would write up in one of his status reports with pictures of the jawbone relief and uh, the testing that was done on it and for all of the anthropological uh, consultation regarding if it's not human, then is it of any animal species on planet Earth? And according to all of the consultation on the mandible bone, it is not human. It is not of any animal species on Earth. So Len was getting into more than just stories more than just anecdotal accounts of what was happening. And he was also speaking with doctors. I know of three specific doctors that Len described who allegedly were involved in autopsy um, accounts from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Let me ask ask a question. Um, The only evidence that this mandible would be alien was that they were unable to identify an Earth species that had such a mandible? That's correct, yeah. So, and, that, um, and then NBC Peacock also did some additional testing and uh, with uh, additional anthropologists, I think from the University of New York even, and, and, and there too. They, they compared it to over 2,000 other uh, specimens 
from around the uh, the earth and it could it did not match anything but um musgrove didn't have a an idea uh, i mean the, nobody said this is an alien th creature to no, him or no, anything no, like no. that no, so, no, there was no so we're kind of making a leap it's here. Just, we're, kind of, we're kind of making a leap here that it that it was unidentifiable as anything Earth or uh, of of earthly origin, or at least that for the 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 scientists who were consulted, that none of them could uh, link it with uh, any species on Earth. Then that leap would be well, if it's not from Earth, then where is it from? And then with Mosgrove, the, uh, witnessing the two officers and the one specifically from Wright-Pat. So, yes, we, 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 we make that jump as well. But why would they, as officers from Wright-Patterson, want a replica of a jawbone, of a mandible recreated as to uh, you know, whose original providence? Well, you mentioned you mentioned in your discussion here that um, Len knew of three doctors who'd participated in alien autopsies. Did any of that link to uh, Roswell, or is it just sort of um, they had this experience with alien bodies? It did not, or at least Len's accounts did not uh, link it in any way to Roswell. It just was kind of floated out there that uh, these were doctors, and as you recall, Kevin. They described in great detail the the, the biological, the uh, the physical composition of the bodies, their internal organs, how they were very similar to uh, human beings in that regard, that type of thing. Uh, Len was able to quote uh, you know some of them very specifically in regards to uh, their physical makeup. Uh, other researchers, I, I I know there was one in Illinois that claimed that they were in contact with one of Len's doctors and uh, tried to make the connection to Roswell, but uh, we failed to uh, you know, make that comparison, and it would not have been in 47. It was in the early 50s, at least when they were stationed at Wright-Patterson. So um, it doesn't automatically disqualify Roswell, but uh, we've been unable, and, and I believe that Len ever actually attributed any one source directly to Roswell regarding autopsies. But he did have a number of doctors talk to him about that. So he would claim, yes. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, I know that um, one of the latest investigations, one of the last investigations he got involved with was at the, in the Kalahari Desert, wasn't it? Yes, yes. But And he was actually quite excited about that because he was promised some addition, he was even promised some government uh, potential source material. And I remember when that just all imploded, it fell apart. And uh, see, again, just like Heineck, and as we ourselves used to say in Racing with the Undertaker, uh, Len realized that his days were numbered and he was hoping for that one smoking gun. He was hoping that something was finally going to provide, you know, the physical evidence or the documentation necessary to prove that um, he wasn't just uh, on this flight of fancy for all those years. But this this Kalahari thing, that was a, um, I think he finally determined that was a hoax. Because and mainly because the sources were never able to uh, provide the information promised, and well, I these, think he just gave up on it. These were these were members of the what South African Air Force. That's correct, and and I remember speaking with Len at that time when he was still very optimistic because. From one of the sources, he had been promised some actual government corroboration that he was going to be placed in contact with either someone at the United Nations or someone with the State Department, someone that was going to be able to at least uh, provide the bona fides, bona fides of someone involved. And it just, uh, I remember week after week where 
anything new land, anything new land, and uh, it just dried up. It dried up to the point that uh, even the original source turned out to be illegitimate. Well, we're going to have to take a break here. Talking about Len Stringfield, his work on crash retrievals. I'm with Don Schmidt. His website is roswellinvestigator.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. My book on Roswell, of course, is Roswell in the 21st Century. My last book is The Best of Project Blue Book. And Don, your latest book is? Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case. Don't know why I can't remember that. For some reason, my mind just refuses to plug it in. We will be back with Don Schmidt talking about Len Stringfield right after this, so please stick around. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Don Schmidt and I are discussing Len Stringfield and his research on crash retrievals, which I think is a topic that interests quite a few people. And as I said, I've got you know a, n- a number of questions people have have sent there, um, and I I really don't know the answer to this. I don't know if Don does either. But did did Len ever try to correlate any of his reports to to things from Project Moondust or? Um, Reports of other recovered debris like that. Do you know of him trying to set? If he did, he never discussed it with us, and he never publicized that fact. Uh, I don't personally. 
I think the first time you and I learned of, of a moon dust was through Cliff Stone down in Roswell. And so we may have mentioned it to Len thereafter, uh, but there's no indication, and again, there's nothing in his status reports that he ever tried to cor- correlate. Well, I think, I, think, I think the problem is uh, moon dust didn't really surface until 1985 when Robert Todd got that document dumped from the State Department that had moon dust in it. I actually found four right, reports right. in Project, Project Blue Book that said moon dust on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think before we got any of the additional information, some of the important information about where these, these things would have happened, um, Len had passed away. So there wasn't really an opportunity for him to look for any correlations between moon dust and uh, crash retrievals. Uh, I was just and I thinking, don't know that he would have even I don't know that he would have even bothered because I don't believe again that he was that much into documents or uh, um, he was a people. He was very social in that regard. That's why he was so he was always so good to the two of us, Kevin, and that you know you could sit with him and it was like being with a father figure in many respects. And um, that's why I, I like to believe that he felt the same about us, and that was the reason that he finally decided that he was going to entrust us with all those confidential names that he had protected for all that time, for 20 years. And um, we finally, uh, you know, fell into uh, his good graces in that regard. Now, that's, you know, that's also keeping in mind that, that Heineck, of all people, tried and then failed to gain, you know, Len's trust in turning over the names of all these cases for all that time. And as you remember, when Heineck tried to bring in even a third party, well, Len, if you don't, you know, if you if you don't trust me, what if I bring in a third party, someone that is beyond reproach, somebody that you know, a national hero, somebody that you know, you'll have to just respect, just on the face of who he actually is, and it was none other than Neil Armstrong. And then the the agreement would have had you know provided, Dr. Heineck. Alan Hynek and Neil Armstrong with the, the source information, with the names of these potential witnesses, but that they would meet and that they would still have to keep them confidential between the three of them, and that then Armstrong and Hynek could follow up at their convenience on some of these cases, but with lens full knowledge as to who they were talking to and to ensure that the witness was okay, was privy to the fact that Len was divulging their contact information. Do you think that Len and might have been? Do you think Len might have been a little leery of Heineck because he worked for, so long for Project Blue Book? Oh yes, oh yes. I have no doubt of that. I have no doubt of that. When we were we had the QFOS conference at the Midland Hotel in 1981. And when we stood outside, when Heineck was meeting with Stringfield in his hotel room, and we stood outside in the hallway, and you could even hear the conversation becoming heated at times. And then after an hour, Heineck exits, and all he says is, you know, Len, I feel very sorry for you. I feel very sorry for you. So we saw that Alan was walking out, you know, without the goods delivered, that Alan had failed once again. And I, I, I know that because as we were then aware of the fact that Alan was still connected, that he still had a top security clearance up to the time he passed away in 86, that Len didn't trust him, that Len was concerned that whatever I give Heineck, who knows who he then in turn would, would, would provide it to. So I, I, I'm sure that always would put the brakes on, uh, especially with any agreement regarding Heineck. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's be fair to Alan Heineck. I mean, you knew him very well. Would, was he still part of the intelligence community at that time, and would he have turned the information over to the government? 
I, I saw nothing to suggest that Alan ever betrayed any one of us or turned over anything. He may have been kept on a short leash, and we know that he was still making trips down the right path post-Blue Book, even up till uh, the fall of 73. Um, Jenny Zeidman, his, his former secretary, described that uh, there was a, a ceremony, and Heineck was presented with a, an author's award in the fall of 73 on his book, UFO Experience. And they were sitting at the table before Heineck was brought up for the presentation. And somebody at the table brought up crash retrievals. And Alan and Dr. Heineck played dumb. You know, ask me anything about UFOs except that. And he whispers to Jenny Zeidman that I just got word that there was a recovery near Holloman Air Force Base. Now, Jenny wrote about this, so I'm not divulging any secrets here. This is nothing that you can't find online, but Jenny talked about this. And, and Jenny, we, we both knew personally. She just passed away uh, some months ago now. But Heineck makes this comment to her privately about a crash retrieval near Holloman in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And then he adds, and there's talk that there were bodies recovered. So Jenny leans over and says to him, where did you hear this? And Heineck takes a piece of paper, and he scribbles down a note, and he slides it over to her. And according to Jenny, it reads, The Air Force. Well, then Jenny is scrambling for her own piece of paper, and she then writes out, Can you tell me any more about this? And then Heineck comments, I've already told you more than I should have. And it never well, came up again. That's true. He really had told her more. Did, do we have any idea of the time frame for this Holloman uh, crash retrieval? Only Heineck, saying, <coughs> only Heineck claiming this in the fall of 73. That's when the awards ceremony took place for his book, uh, UFO Experience. Uh, it, was commemor it was honoring authors in Ohio, and as, as we both know, Heineck started out head of the astronomy department at Ohio State in Columbus. Ohio. And so they were recognizing his work as far as uh, being a former teacher in Ohio in that regard. But no, I have no idea. And then when we tried to, uh, there was some talk, even in regards to Roswell, that there were, there was an MP unit that came over from White Sands, that type of thing, and that even some uh, testimony that some of the Roswell wreckage uh, wound up at uh, Holloman years thereafter, that type of thing. And uh, Tom and I wrote about this uh, regarding certain witnesses like Colonel Sidney Johnston and um, the connection to Roswell in that regard. But regarding uh, returning the Heineck, no, no, no idea what particular case or what year that uh, may have been connected to. So we're just kind of one of those anecdotal stories that we hear so often. I mean, it's kind of like, um, um, what's his face from Albuquerque? You know who I mean, the guy that invented the atomic trigger we would visit when we were oh, there? Chester. Chester, 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 Chester Lytle. Chester Lytle, yeah. And his story about um, uh, Blanchard, on the flight Blanchard from on coming back from Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, yeah, mentioning mm -hmm. the, the bodies too, Chester Lytle. So I mean, it's an interesting story, but there's really no no place to go with it. So no, unfortunately, and then we're left with uh, the, the the source of the story. In this case, that would have been Chet Lytle, and certainly, you know, he would have had his GS rating was that of a 16, which is of a general rank. As a, as a civilian, and uh, for all his connections, even with the presidents of the United States, so yeah, it's, he's, he's 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 in very high regard in that you know situation. But uh, you know, 
I guess I, I mentioned that only because these stories have been floating around for all these years, and here's Heineck in 73 telling Jenny Zeidman about uh, what he supposedly just heard from the Air Force, of all places, that type of thing. So are these just carrots that are being dangled? See what we do? Um, and, and we know that uh, all of the so-called you know, whistleblowers that Len Stringfield had uh, more times than not, they were just blowing hot air. No doubt. No doubt. But well, all it takes uh, is one. Let's break it off there, and we will be back in just short order with the, uh, some more information about Len Stringfield and what was going on. Uh, the site is roswellinvestigator.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. to me over and over again simultv.com simultv.com what's simultv.com that's what i asked them they had it written on the side of their ufo how do you spell that ufo no i mean simultv.com 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 right simultv.com interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com ufo last night oh yeah yeah now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. I am here with Don Schmidt. We're talking Lynn Stringfield. We're talking UFOs. And a question uh, came up. Uh, we have been talking about John Musgrove and the mandible earlier in the program. And uh, the question came up, was any DNA done on the thing? Was, was there an opportunity to do any of that kind of research? According to Musgrove, um, it uh, appeared, and, and when he took it to the sink after it had first been delivered to the lab, and thinking that he was going to be rinsing off uh, this mold 
to then make the replica. And seeing that it was actual bone, one of the things that he said was that it was already quite aged. It had already hardened and uh, petrified to some degree. So it appeared to already be some years old, where that in itself appeared uh, unusual. Why am I making a relief of something that is already some years, uh, you know, beyond the need to, uh, you know, do any dental work or, or anything for that matter? And um, so there was nothing that he mentioned as to saliva, blood, that type of thing. One of the things I, I, I didn't mention was that when it was retrieved the next day by his boss, and he then followed from some distance from the fourth floor down to the front lobby where he watched then the delivery out in the parking lot with the two uh, Air Force officers. One of the things that struck Mosgrove as unusual was that the hallways were vacant, that normally there would be all types of traffic, doctors, nurses, other people working within that clinic. And it was, it was as though the building had been evacuated for whatever reason. So Mosgrove also felt that was uh, unusual for the time of day. Uh, the, uh, the the circumstances uh, surrounding this entire you know kind of weird uh, you know assignment on his part, and then and was who, no, uh, was no, it was delivered to. There was no idea where this thing was recovered, where it came from. It was just this bone here, make a duplicate. That's right, and that he did witness the delivery to the two officers. From, uh, and he, he recognized, he, at least he said that he recognized the one from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And this is just outside of Dayton, Ohio. So it's not like it was even, you know, another state. It was right there within that community. Well, let's, uh, let's take a look at one of the things that bothered me in uh, the questions that were submitted and this idea that Len Stringfield was some kind of a liar or a trickster. Mm -hmm. And I know we touched, we touched on that on, on the earlier program, but I just wanted to revisit this because I could see nothing in Len's background in our interactions that would suggest he was, he was a liar. I, I got somebody who was very enthusiastic about uh, UFOs. He had his own UFO sighting uh, near Iwo Jima, as a matter of fact. And he'd served yes, on the same yes. island in the Pacific as Jesse Marcel Sr., but in different units, both the intelligence and intelligence, but in different units, so they never crossed paths in the Pacific. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if, if, if you tell me a lie and I believe it and I repeat it, then I'm not a liar. I'm repeating what I believe to be the truth. And I think that, that if you're labeling Len a liar, you're, you're, taking it to the point where he received the information, he wanted to share it with his colleagues to see if there was a way to corroborate it, but that doesn't make him a liar. No, no, of course not. And anyone can investigate the circumstances surrounding the 1978 MUFON Symposium in Dayton, where he went public with information that he had accumulated you know, basically within the previous year, because uh, it was when his book uh, came out as far as Situation Red, the UFO siege in 1977, that's when he first started getting, you know, these uh, witnesses that came forward and why he was singled out. I don't know that he even, you know, grasped what he uh, was about to uh, uh, become. But because he was already being threatened, because he was already getting to something so controversial, even you know amongst his own colleagues, it took a lot of courage on his part. And, and, and Kevin, you remember when we would ask him, did, he, did we feel that he was still being watched? Did he feel as though his phone was still tapped? Did, he, did we feel that he was concerned for the well-being, the safety of his own family, his wife, Dell, for example. And it was in his eyes. You, you saw that. It was, he was very you know, concerned that uh, if he just said or did the wrong thing, 
that his life was going to be in jeopardy, his family was going to be threatened in some way. So this was, you know, these were not the actions of a liar. These weren't the actions of a charlatan, anybody who was looking for publicity or uh, notoriety. No, he, he was elected. He served admirably as far as uh, in this role, and uh, he took all of it with him as far as sadly, but uh, he was a man of his word, and um, I, th- I think that was the main reason that others sought him out and uh, many of them used him as their launching pad to disclose information that uh, maybe they, you know, would have been in violation of security should they have gone public. They found in Len Stringfield, you know, a, a most admirable, courageous individual who you and I, uh, you know, could honestly say uh, we were very honored to have known him. Well, I think a, a note of his integrity is even though he trusted us with the research and knew that we were attempting to learn where the truth was, um, he still protected the names of the witnesses that he was given in confidence. And, yeah. Yeah. And, as, and, and as we said in a prior program, that um, I think he wanted to help us as much as he could without violating those confidences. And he did what he thought was, was right to help us with our research. But uh, I just am astonished that in uh, people would think, and, and I guess it's because of, well, are there is alien visitation? Len clearly thought there was alien visitation. And if you're in the camp where there is no such thing, ergo, if you suggest anything otherwise, you must be a liar. I think that might be right, where it comes right. down to. It has nothing to do with evidence. It has nothing to do with it do with uh, research. It has to do with belief structure. And if I truly believe there's no such thing as alien visitation and you tell me there is and you've got this information, then to me, you must be lying, even if the information came from somebody else. And I think that's where we get into the problem with Len being a liar. It's he, he gathered the information and shared it with others to see if it could be corroborated, to see if there was a place to go with it. Precisely. Precisely. And the fact that you and I verified that a number of his witnesses actually existed. He allowed us to talk with them. They turned out to be stationed at the Rouser Army Airfield in 1947. There were, I mean, these were actual, you know, eyewitnesses to, you know, circumstances that were described to us by others. And in the case of Lloyd Thompson, uh, Lens witness Tim, it led us to other witnesses who corroborated that very same flight. So that all bodes, you know, very well as far as Lens' credibility in that when he did enable us to follow up on these storytellers, they were actual eyewitnesses. They came to him. He didn't seek them out. And that was, you know, the the one thing that you and I often commented, that when a witness came to us, red flags would immediately go up, you know, slash, you know, vis-a-vis Gerald Anderson, that type of thing. Uh, it It was much better when we had to track them down. And reluctantly, they would, you know, they would often ask, now, how did you even find me? Because the last thing they wanted to do was volunteer the information. And they found and in Len were... Stringfield someone they could trust and reveal stories that they most likely couldn't even share with their own families. And, and we were lucky with the Roswell case that they had that yearbook that was made in 1947, which gave us 1,500 names. Precisely. So we what were... a godsend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, that we had something like that. Don, don't know what to tell you. We're out of time. We've done the best we could well, in such short I think Len would little, be very pleased. Tell me a little bit about your, your book that just came out. Just quickly, quickly, well, we your book. Pre- yeah, quickly. We present it as a day in court. In other words, we our opening statement, our evidentiary, our best witnesses, and then our closing arguments. In other words, Roswell's day in court, so to speak. And that's available now, even as we speak. Uh, Barnes and Noble, all fine bookstores, and certainly Amazon.com. Yes. Well, Don, thank you very much for taking this time to chat with us today. We appreciate your insights into Len Stringfield. I hope people have gotten out of the program what they hope to get, and uh, we'll have well, to I chat again soon. Appreciate the opportunity, and 
Of course we will. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, once again, it's the RoswellInvestigator.com. Take a look for the books. Uh, Don Schmidt, Tom Carey at Amazon.com. Look for mine at Amazon.com. Uh, the best of Project Blue Book is the most recent book. And it has information about the Leveland case that Robert Schaefer and I talked about uh, in the past uh, few weeks. So you can get some more of it, information that way. Uh, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will have additional information uh, posted there or links to some additional information for those of you who'd like to uh, hear it. And we will be talking about UFOs. We will be talking about other S, uh, uh, types of the paranormal here, uh, especially uh, look at the um, xzbn.net for any listings on the paranormal that you might find. You have been listening to a different perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. So please keep listening and thank you for tuning in.